Welcome to episode number 17 of the Four Animals for Earth podcast. Today is part two of a two-part series in which I'm talking with Amy in Falmouth, Kentucky. So if you haven't yet heard part one, uh, I recommend going back and listening to episode 16 first and then coming here to episode 17. So Amy is a wildlife rehabilitator who lives off the grid, organically farming her own food and saving the lives of animals. What I love about Amy is that she encourages all of us to study and do the same, even if we don't go through the the full extent of becoming a wildlife rehabilitator, which honestly she does encourage us to do. So if you're interested, you'll find information about that um, in this interview and in the show notes. But even if we don't go through to that extent, there's so much that each of us can do to help uh, wildlife that we see in our own lives. So because this interview became two separate episodes, I get to pick the extra simple idea for today. And we all know that I don't do things short that well. So I've chosen two (laughs) simple ideas for us today. And both of these are actually things that will help us to be able to help an animal if we see them, you know, in the moment. If there's an emergency in the moment, we will have something to turn to. So the first is to go download the Animal Help Now app on our phones. So that is an app. You can actually hear more about it in episode 16, but it's an app that we can click on and find a wildlife rehabilitator near us to ask any questions in an emergency situation. And then the second simple idea for today is to put a wildlife rescue kit in your car if you drive. And there will be a link to the show notes. Um, Sorry, there'll be a link to... Um, what to put into your wildlife rescue kit in the show notes. So um, for show notes, go to fouranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 17. Hi there, this is Brandy and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. Um, the third scenario that I had, I think we've already answered, but if you see something like a snake or a possum, a gopher, a raccoon, an animal like that in your backyard, would the answer be use the animal help now app and get a hold of someone near you? Um, you can, there is, when you go on that app, there is a conflict resolution section. So that's, say you have raccoons that are getting in your trash can, that's Mm -hmm. a conflict um, issue. And, you know, you can find a wildlife person that will help you humanely resolve your conflict. Now, state laws vary um, a good deal. So we also have, you know, people that... uh, now I'm having a brain fart on <laughs> what we call them, but the, you know, people that um, remove pest control people. Oh, pest control. Okay. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a totally different thing. 
than any kind of rehabilitation. So people that are doing animal control, pest control, uh -huh. they often come, they charge, you know, money for their services. They trap the animal and they, you know, kill the animal. They euthanize the animal. Okay. Um, some of them do do talk about, you know, uh, they do humanely remove the animal, and I would question that, and I would, you know, seek out uh, information about that, because that that's also going to vary in your state, because, okay. for instance, and in, for instance, in my state, um, you know, they, by law, often, you know, destroy the animal. And so they can't take, for instance, a full-grown raccoon and then go release it somewhere. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that isn't uh, legal. So, mm -hmm. so when you call, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're talking to a wildlife rehabber that is going to, um, you know, give you some advice about dealing with it humanely. Mm -hmm. That rehabber might not be able to, you know, come to your house. For the most part, what rehabbers do is they're dealing with injured animals, baby okay. animals that are orphaned. Okay. Um, and they, they are not licensed. Like in my state, my license wouldn't even allow me to go do uh, animal control work. Got it. Okay. So, but, but for the most part, you know, rehabbers that I know are very willing to, you know, uh, help. Uh, it's one of the things that I put in my blogs. I usually have, you know, for instance, I have a blog about raccoons, and there's a section in that blog about, you know, here are some things that you can do if a raccoon is making your life miserable. Mm, okay. And on the flip side, I also typically have sections in my wildlife blogs on hey, I love these animals and I would like to help them, you know, so here are mm. some tips that you mm. can, you know, help these animals. Mm. So um, sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, they make really sturdy trash cans that are lockable. Mm. And mm -hmm. people who live in bear country know all about these mm. kinds of trash cans, because if you live in bear country, you have to have really sturdy things. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. I actually learned this from one of my local um, park ranger friends is that, you know, they're not just for bears. Uh, they're great for uh, raccoons and opossums and other animals that can get pretty determined, uh, you know, about knocking over a trash can and, and getting in it and making a big mess. Mm. So, so sometimes it's just a simple solution and you just might not have realized that, you know, uh-huh. And we were talking, you know, we were talking about the cats earlier. Uh-huh. So, yes, Amy is someone that would feed a stray cat, but I would not leave that food out at night. Okay. So whenever we're feeding animals, whether they're, you know, our domestic animals or a stray animal, if we do that during the day, we feed the animal, then we take the food away we're not getting the wildlife because the wildlife is coming out at, you know, dusk, 
mm-hmm. and at night and scavenging for food. And if we have food sitting out because we were feeding, you know, the stray cats, then we are actually drawing in wildlife to our yard. Mm. So we need to make sure that we're not, um, you know, presenting that opportunity for them mm. and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, keeping the, the food locked up in a secure area and only having it out, you know, till the animal's done eating. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really good to add um, and point out, I think, because, yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? It's if we're doing something to invite them in, <laughs> then it becomes an, an issue and then you're trying to get them out. They're right. like, well, hey, you you had food for me. Why is this, <laughs> why are you turning on me? What's right. going on? Yeah. <laughs> you would, you would make a good raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that they are incredibly smart and that also um, that they're very like family oriented is that is that true? Can you tell us a little bit about yes. raccoons? Yes, uh, they are highly intelligent and they can solve problems. And they're very good at locks and latches. I know this uh, because I have had many escapees over the years. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, very social. So, for instance, um, even if I get in a single baby raccoon during the season mm-hmm. um you know everybody goes through a quarantine period but then i try to pair up that single raccoon with at least one other raccoon okay. because we don't want to release them um as a single because they are very social and in the winter time uh, they will often den together Okay. And uh, to help keep each other warm. And the mothers, so mother raccoons are some of the best, in my opinion, the best mothers in the animal kingdom. Mm. And, you know, we talk about instinct. Well, raccoons ha- have a lot of learned behaviors, and their mother, you know, very actively teaches them how to find food and, you know, climbing trees. And, you know, she probably is teaching them about checking out trash cans. (laughs) And so, um, you know, the mother raccoon is very much a participant in her children's education. Mm -hmm. And it makes rehabbing baby raccoons are one of the harder species to rehab because, for instance, one of the things that I do with my baby raccoons is I'll take a bowl and I will go to the bait store and I will buy minnows and I will put minnows in a bowl of water and then give that to the baby raccoons. And I might even stick my hand in the water and, you know, act like I'm playing with these minnows and, you know, taking one and putting it like near my mouth. I don't eat the minnow. But... um <laughs> You know, um, like we're trying to teach these raccoons skills that they need because wow. it it doesn't do any good if, if I just set the raccoon out and say, oh, yeah, you're a raccoon. You know what to do. Go be wild. Mm-hmm. You know, they really need a lot of instruction so that when I release them, 
you know, they'll survive and they will know how to go to the creek and catch minnows or, you know, go up in a, in a tree if, uh, you know, a dog or coyote were after them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so they're, they're very, uh, you know, family oriented. Wow. It's, it sounds extremely difficult to teach. Um, I mean, your example with the minnows, I can kind of see that. Like I'm trying to picture how you teach them to run up in a tree <laughs> when, when something comes. Um, I, do they teach each other the animals that you have there or does all of that responsibility really fall on you to teach them, you know, how to grow into an adult? They do teach each other and um, just, you know, they're rolling around and playing um, they're learning a lot of social skills just by being, you know, kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's a combination. And if you get one kit that is adventuresome and is ready to run up the tree, mm-hmm. then, you know, the, the next kit that's kind of shy and withdrawn, you know, you can be like, go on follow him. Okay. Go do that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yes, I take, I take the baby raccoons uh, just into my fruit orchard where the trees are, are not as big. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, let them climb. And uh, often uh, that's what I'll have a volunteer do. I'll be like, you know, this group of raccoons is going to go play in the trees, go watch them. And uh <laughs> You know, then a human just goes out and watches them and makes sure that, uh, you know, they're not getting in too much trouble and, uh, and they just kind of have, you know, playtime. Cute. Oh my gosh. It sounds absolutely adorable. Um, how do the baby, so how does a baby raccoon end up with you? And are there quite a few baby animals that, that do end up with you? Um, I do about 70, between 75 and 100 um, babies a year. Okay. And I mean, I'm not even, it sounds like a lot, but um, I do know rehabbers have much larger centers that, you know, do several hundred. And so, um, so what happens is, um, you know, a person uh, finds a baby animal, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's just as simple as uh, they've seen an adult animal hit on the side of the road, oh, okay. and there's babies around it, and so, uh, you know, we, we recognize that mom has, uh, you know, been hit by a car, mm-hmm. and so those babies are orphans, so those babies are then candidates. Uh, for rehabilitation. Uh, Fawns, um, you know, young deer are sometimes themselves hit on the road. Mm. Um, So, uh, you know, they, you know, if a a baby animal is is found and that's been hit on the road, then, you know, that uh, might be a candidate for rehabilitation, you know, if they uh, are able to recover um from their injuries mm-hmm. um sometimes i'm uh you know i live in a rural area and i have gotten in babies 
for instance, because the mother animal has been uh, shot and, and killed. Mm. I had coyote pups this year. Mm. And Jeez. so a farmer was working on building their fence. Okay. And there was a coyote. Uh, they were on kind of the back part of their farm. And there was a coyote who was running around near them. And, and the farmer felt threatened uh, because he interpreted her behavior as aggressive. Mm. Well, it, it, and so he, he did shoot her and it turned out that the reason that she was acting so anxiously is because they were pretty close to her den. Mm. And, mm -hmm. um, and so then those puppies were orphaned. And okay. so, uh, his daughter then, then brought the, the puppies in. Uh, okay. And so, uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, so they come in with different situations. Um, mm -hmm. But many times, you know, it, it's not, and it's not that, you know, you might hit an animal intentionally on the road, um, mm -hmm. because we all know that sometimes they're just, you know, dart out in front of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But right. often, um, you know, often the uh, casualty happens because of, of this human, uh, not really a conflict, but, you know, mm. something the human is doing. And so as a wildlife rehabilitator, um, you know, I kind of see that as righting a wrong. Mm. Mm -hmm. So um, the animal's life uh, was altered because of, you know, human technology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we have a responsibility then to help. Mm -hmm. And um, we want to help that animal by, um, you know, raising it so that it can be released and, you know, have the life that God intended it to have. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a natural, a natural life. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want these animals to become pets. And we often, wildlife rehabilitators often go to great lengths um, to not, um, you know, have the animals bond with us, mm -hmm. you know, to a point that that's going to interfere with, with them being uh, releasable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, um, neatest things I think about what you do is that you're really helping these animals kind of just for this, you know, period or moment in their lives, all with the goal of them going back out. You know, the goal isn't to, to stay and be like a, a zoo or something like that. You know, the goal is to get them back out to living right. their natural wildlife. And, um, I don't know, I, I personally just really love that. And I think it's one of the best things that anyone in the world could do. So, um, you know, thank you for what you do for sure. Um, well, thank you. Hmm, I'm, I'm excited to have you on here and to be learning so much from you. Um, let's hit our fourth scenario. Let's talk about, uh, coyotes. So, um, because you did just mention coyotes and, um, if you see a coyote near your property, it, it, does that always mean that, there's a danger or not necessarily? 
No, not definitely not necessarily. Um, we often fear predators and, you know, that fear might be, you know, very legitimately based on, you know, a millennium of, of human-animal uh, conflicts. But coyotes are, you know, expanding, maybe not expanding their range isn't the right word. They're adapting to us expanding our range. Mm -hmm. And so it is much more common to see, you know, a coyote in uh, urban areas. Mm -hmm. And it does not mean, uh, you know, the coyotes are not after your children. They are not after your cats. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually been, you know, very few recorded incidents, documented incidents of coyotes actually, you know, hunting and taking down a cat. Um, and of course, uh, what many people will say is going back to our discussion earlier about cats is, you know, keeping your cats in the house. Um, coyotes are pretty naturally nervous and wary. And so the interesting thing is, you know, this coyote might have been living in your neighborhood for two years, and then all of a sudden you see them, and you think, oh, no, a coyote has moved into my neighborhood. Mm. But it so happens it's been there for a long time, and for whatever that, you know, circumstance was, um, you saw them. Mm. And so, um, you know, that has made you nervous. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, uh, unless we're kind of seeking out uh, their areas and, um, you know, looking for where we think they might be, you know, they're, they're living among us and, and we don't know it. Okay. Um, you know, similar to snakes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guarantee that there are a lot of snakes in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Um, um, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, you see them. Yeah, right. Because, uh, you know, uh, so, uh, so often when we don't see these animals, and of course the really cool thing about Los Angeles, I follow a wildlife group that monitors the cougars Mm. in California mm -hmm. and there are cougars in Los Angeles and of course you know mm -hmm. Amy the hillbilly <laughs> thought oh my gosh <laughs> but uh -huh. so there are often you know we have predators mm -hmm. um, among us mm. and when we see them you know we're instantly afraid mm -hmm. but um, you know, maybe going back to our, you know, simple thing that we can do is, is maybe we should feel compassion mm -hmm. um, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're just, the coyote is like all of us. Mm -hmm. They are just wanting to survive in their ecosystem, in their niche, and, you know, they're pack animals. They want to you know, protect and feed their families. And, you know, that is what's important to them. And that's, you know, if you see them in your neighborhood, that's what they're doing. They're not, 
you know, looking for you or looking for your domestic cat per se, they are, you know, just, you know, hunting and, and trying to, you know, find places for their, you know, pups to be born and grow up. And mm. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with all of the urban sprawl, right. And it's just like, feels like there's just constant, um, tearing down of natural habitats and building, you know, human habitats. And so, I mean, at least here in Los Angeles, yeah, you do see the animals just struggling, I feel like, all the time to find a place, (laughs) you know, among all of us. Yeah, for sure. Right, right. And I can can see that, you know, very much uh, happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, but they do, you know, they adapt amazingly well, mm. uh, you know, several species, you know, deer are the other thing that are very prevalent in mm-hmm. urban areas mm-hmm. uh, and have very much adapted uh, to, you know, people that plant flowers and hostas. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's I have I haven't ever seen deer here. We have quite a few coyotes um right here. I've I've never seen deer, but I definitely have stories from friends, you know, especially Indiana or um even a friend of mine who lives in upstate New York, like where she's deer come in the yard all the time. I'm like, oh, so cute. Right. <laughs> but, well, and that um the funny thing is um in the country, uh, you know, I, I see deer often. Uh, one of my best friends uh, lives in a suburb in Cincinnati, and she has them all in her yard. But I wasn't ready when, so one of the very first calls I had when I became a wildlife rehabilitator, one of the very first calls was from a bank in Florence, Kentucky, which is a, you know, city. It's a urban area mm-hmm. and the fawn was in there they had kind of a median in the parking lot this little grassy spot <laughs> and this infant fawn was laying oh. in the middle of the parking lot oh. its mother had given birth to it and then as deer do their natural behavior is then to go somewhere else oh wow and so the bank the bank called me and they were like um there's a fawn in our parking lot oh my and i was like are you serious and so oh my. he sent me a picture because I, of course, was, you know, <laughs> doubting them. Yeah, it's some other type of animal. <laughs> I wasn't sure what I expected. But, um, but I counseled them, which is, um, and this is a, a big thing uh, with rehabbers across the country is, you know, leave the fawn alone. Mm. And so give the fawn, you know, give the mother deer 24 hours to come back for the fawn. And, and that's what we say, because that is part of that deer's natural pattern is okay. to go off because they think, they think the bad guys are going to follow them. And, and, you know, they might think that the bank parking lot is a very safe place. <laughs> and it was uh-huh. a safe place because the bank called me and, and they were totally willing to protect this fawn. Mm-hmm. But, um, but during the night, the mother came and, and took the fawn and, and they went off uh, and she took it to, you know, somebody else's parking lot. <laughs> but, uh, but that's just, you know, they're, they're just so urbanized and so adapted that, 
now I'm used to getting people phone calls from people Mm -hmm. in more urban areas that Mm -hmm. say, um, you know, there's a fawn in my yard. Mm. And so, uh, you know, they, you know, they kind of have to make the best with uh, uh, what they have. And and Mm -hmm. so that's what, you know, coyotes and deer who have both become very urbanized have, Mm -hmm. you know, adapted to finding uh, food sources. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that coyotes and foxes, you know, eat an awful lot of are rodents. Mm. And so, you know, one thing you can think when you see the coyote is, oh, look, he's eating the rats mm. that might otherwise, you know, come to my house. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a really good way to think about it. And you could see why the, an urban area might be nice for them. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, okay. Scenario number five is um, if we find a bird nest that has fallen out of a tree, what should we do? So, there are two kind of groups that baby birds fall in we have nestlings and we have fledglings. Okay. A nestling is a baby bird that doesn't have their feathers yet, that uh, the parent birds are still very actively, you know, feeding and taking care of. But sometimes, you know, when there's a storm or, uh, you know, an animal is, is hunting, you might find a nestling on the ground. And so if the baby bird that you find Uh, does not have many feathers. You can kind of tell, like they might have these little fluffy feathers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Those aren't, you know, then they're getting their real feathers, the feathers they need to fly, and they might have still bald spots. Okay. That baby bird, um, you know, hopefully you can locate the nest and get the baby bird back in the nest. Okay. If the nest is very tall, up in a tree or you're having problems just being able to you know locate it you can put the baby bird kind of in a box Uh and hang the you know with some nesting material hang that box from the tree and then you know stand back and observe and see if its parents come and find it okay okay if no parents come and you don't see any other birds then you would want to call a bird rehabilitator and, you know, ask them, uh, you know, tell them that you've tried to reunite and, um, and aren't, you know, having parent birds coming back and what the next step should be. Because if the parent bird uh, doesn't come back and find the nestling, then the next step would be uh, for that baby to go into the care of a wildlife rehabilitator who's trained in birds. Okay. So the other um, half of that is a fledgling. Now a fledgling is a baby bird that has all or almost all of their actual feathers. They don't have, they might have some of that fluffy stuff around their head or their chest, but they're getting their, you know, like their wings are feathered. Mm -hmm. What happens in that situation is that nest, that fledgling has probably jumped out of their nest Mm -hmm. 
because there's three or four of them in that nest and they're getting bigger and they need to work those muscles. Okay. So they're hopping around and they are, you know, learning how to use the muscles in their, uh, you know, for their wings and they're just starting to learn to fly. And the kind of the trick is that those fledglings have, you know, five to seven days before they really fly well. And okay. they're hopping around and then they're doing little short flights. And so that bird does not need intervention. This is part of its just natural growing up. But what I always tell people is, you know, it won't take long. Keep your dogs and cats inside. Um, you know, monitor the baby bird. You will probably see the parent birds. They still will come, you know, down to the baby bird, give the baby bird food, kind of fly around the baby bird. And so the parent is present. You know, everything is normal. And, um, you know, you just need to be mindful uh, if you have, you know, domestic animals of keeping them away from that baby bird until it's, you know, one day you'll look out and there'll be no baby bird and it'll be up in the tree looking down at you. And, <laughs> and so, you know, then it's, it's kind of past that, you know, there's that week where there's just a real dangerous stage mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like they would be extremely vulnerable in that that one week, but yes. yeah, but that's also just a part of, um, natural wildlife, right? So it, it yeah, yeah, that's we don't a necessarily natural part of, of their growth. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we don't want to, you know, we don't want to interfere with that. Mm -hmm. It's that's good to know. Cause I think at least me and, and I think a lot of people, um, our instinct is just like, Oh no, and you, you want to just like get in there and, and, pick them up and cuddle them and <laughs> keep them to bring them in the house and make sure they're safe, you know, and, um, and I do know from different classes I've taken that most of the time that is exactly the opposite of what, <laughs> what you want to do. So, um, yes, yes. You said that well, there, there, there's that, you know, human compassion where we want to help. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that gets kind of overridden with our, thinking we know how we should help mm -hmm. versus, you know, recognizing, um, you know, when we should help and when we should just stand by and, and say, Oh, that's wonderful. You're growing up. Mm. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Like a, a cheerleader on the side. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. <laughs> Um, I, I love that I feel like in, in all scenarios we've talked about, there really is the opportunity to go to this app that you mentioned and, and ask yeah. for guidance. Um, that's, you know, something I guess really exciting about um, technology. <laughs> and a lot of times I don't have a lot of things I'm really that excited about with technology, but um, I do feel like that is something that's, that's pretty neat. Um, I, you know, in, in these moments when our heart is um, breaking open with compassion and we really want to help, there is a, a tool to figure out the best way to help. So, um, yeah, I really like that. Right. And the tool connects you with, you know, a real person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's always reassuring because I think I, I sometimes get calls 
from, you know, people and they just need for me to affirm what they know. Mm-hmm. And because they'll say, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. And it just, you know, it, it's nice when, you know, someone says, well, you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's exactly what you should do. And uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's helpful when you're able to talk to, you know, that person that's going to, um, you know, kind of affirm what you're thinking or kind of let you know, um, you know, this is the best uh, course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, the, the people that, um, you know, find animals and are looking out for animals, um, you know, those are the the people that, uh, you know, make wildlife rehabilitation uh, what it is because it's all those compassionate people that are on the ground. I always, and I do a lot of texting because my phone reception isn't so bad, you know, my phone reception isn't so good on my, you know, dead end gravel road. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I often tell people to text me because the phone uh, isn't always the best uh, way for me to communicate. And, uh, but I always end my conversations with people by saying, you know, thank you for caring for wildlife. Mm. Um, because, you know, the person that finds the animal, they're the people on the ground. I'm, I'm, you know, the person at home just kind of waiting <laughs> for the animal to come to me. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, well, yeah. You know. And what a, what a beautiful way for all of us to work together. Huh? I mean, you know, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice to know that on your end, there's people with eyes and ears, you know, bringing the animals in. And I think it's really nice to know on our end, there's people ready for us, you know? Um, I, yeah, it's really, uh, um, really a great network. And um, I'm glad that I am becoming more aware of it and that everyone listening is becoming more aware of it and um, hopefully feels more empowered now with, you know, what you can do um, in situations where, you know, you have an interaction with wildlife and you're not sure what to do. Um, How, what's the best way for listeners to support you? Um. They can go to our website, uh, which is foxrunenvironmentalcenter.org. And so we have a pretty extensive blog. We have a lot of blogs on all of those things we didn't talk about today. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) then there is a wildlife blog uh, that has a lot of um, information about different species. Um, I pretty much focus on species that... um, you know, are found native in Kentucky since we are centered in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of those animals are, you know, throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Um, We are on Facebook and Pinterest, which we talked about, Mm -hmm. and also on Twitter at Fox Run EEC. And so we, uh, we do take, we are a 401c3 what is that? 501c3. 501c3. I'm not sure what I am, I guess. <laughs> I'm a nonprofit. Where those numbers and letters that go together that say uh, nonprofit. Too funny. Yeah. <laughs> I have to pay the government to be a nonprofit. <laughs> so, right, right. 
So I'm not true. sure what's wrong with that, but uh, oh, I know I hear you. <laughs> that's funny, but we are a nonprofit, so um, we do take donations. We have a, a tab on the website that's called Help Us, and uh, we can take donations. And we also have an Amazon uh, wish list, and uh, so a lot of uh, we have a lot of people throughout the country that follow us on Facebook uh, because I, you know, post cute baby animal pictures. Mm, so, cute. <laughs> um, you know, we welcome anybody to follow us on uh, on Facebook and uh, you know hear what we are doing. Uh, also, uh, I I do on-site classes and we also have a couple of online classes. Uh, none in wildlife at this time. Uh, the other thing that uh, I have is I uh, do a Kentucky uh, support group for wildlife rehabilitators, mm -hmm. and that is actually growing um, in kind of a uh, helping wildlife rehabilitators uh, throughout uh, mm -hmm. the country with resources. Mm -hmm. So if anyone who is listening to this is interested in being a wildlife rehabilitator, you can go to Kentucky Wildlife Rehabilitation Association. And um, I have several blogs about how you can become a wildlife rehabilitator and um, also several blogs about uh, kind of the business end of mm -hmm. wildlife rehabilitation. So, you know, stocking your medicine cabinet and, uh, you know, getting a website going and, and those kinds of things. Um, to help new uh, rehabilitators uh, get going and, and get started. Uh, so as a, you know, as a profession. Oh, what an awesome resource. That is so cool. I, you know, my head here about five times I've thought, <laughs> can I do that in my backyard? My, my backyard's like maybe like 10 <laughs> feet by 20 feet. <laughs> can I do that? I don't know. Can I pull that off? I think I asked myself about five times while you were saying that. Oh, man. Well, you know, here's the here's the interesting thing. Um, there are a lot of uh, rehabbers that do wildlife rehabilitation out of their home. And what I always tell people is, you know, first of all, you only have to take those species which you have the resources and the space for. So if you're in a smaller situation, you know, maybe it's that you just do squirrels. Um, you don't have to do, you know, everything that, that comes to you. Um, like for instance, I don't do bats. Okay. Uh, bats are awesome animals, but they're very, very specialized as far as their rehabilitation. But I have a friend, um, in Louisville and she does bats. And so whenever I get a bat call, I, you know, I recommend her and I tell people, you know, she's had all this training. She has this whole bat flight um, area where she can teach them flying. And, you know, she's the person that you need to get the bat to. So, um, so part of being a, a wildlife rehabber is, is knowing, you know, what species, you know, you want to work with, that you have space to work with. And then connecting with other rehabbers in your, you know, general location that you can refer people to, you know, if it's a situation that, um, you know, that you don't do. Mm. So mm. that's, yeah, that's great. That is 
That's really wonderful. And it gives um, some of us maybe uh, an entry point <laughs> to, to be able to help, you know, in just a tiny space. Um, so I, I mean, I would assume everyone listening is chomping at the bit to get to Facebook and look at baby animals. <laughs> I know I am. Um, thank you so much, Amy, for coming on and um, sharing so much knowledge. And um, I know it's really helpful for me, and I think it will be really helpful for people listening too. So um, thank you again for coming on and taking the time to share all of your knowledge about wildlife with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, um, you know, I'm a listener of your podcast and I have really enjoyed, um, you know, all the people that you've had on the podcast. And so it's been exciting for me to, you know, be on your podcast and, and be part of, uh, you know, this wonderful community that you're building, um, you know, connect people and all these, uh, you know, people that do wonderful things um, in nature and with food and with animals. And so uh, it's awesome. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. It's so exciting to hear. And I really do think there are so many of us um, out here and the more we can come together and support each other and have these conversations, I just really, really think we're going to make a bigger difference for, you know, animals and the environment. So um, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. definitely. Yes. Well, thank you to everybody listening. Thank you, Amy. And um, we'll talk soon. And that's all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please consider hitting subscribe, rating or reviewing us, telling a friend, any or all of the above truly make a difference. The more people we can reach, the more people I can find to interview and the bigger impact we can make together. Keep an eye on your feed. We'll be back soon with the next episode. Thanks. Bye.